day, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Hello, how Hello. are you? <laughs> Hi. Oh, welcome to I Took a Right Turn. Yeah. On this, well, here in Iowa anyway, this is very snowy, very cold, very blowy, wintry day. You know, normally Robert and I really kind of love the winter because it's quiet. Yes. Even in the snow, you know, it's just a quiet, we just kind of, it's a time for us to relax and restore for the for the time when we get busy no gardening work oh no gardening no nothing no mowing the grass however we have our our 98 year old aunt passed and wouldn't you know it this is her week tonight her funeral tomorrow so it's like and we're buried we're buried we're buried we're out here in the country. and it's still snowing yeah it's still <laughs> snowing and we're buried now we did get an offer which was very sweet they didn't even know our situation from one of our neighbors. They're young. He said, I'll bring the snowblower over there later. And I thought, why did I say no? Not sure why I said no. <laughs> because they are a lot younger than we are. When she was saying no, I was over there going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now I got to go out and snowblow. <laughs> I'll help you, honey. Only oh, we're one only person one can. Yeah, I right. was gonna say that. Yeah. See, that works good. When there's only one snowblower, you can offer to help and know that, oh, I guess I won't help. <laughs> yeah, right, right. She does offer to help, but it's a big, heavy snowblower. Oh, and I can handle it, but I'm not going to today. And I appreciate you doing all of that while I do something else. <laughs> I'm not sure what. <laughs> Anyhow, we hope that you're having as much fun in this big, snowy, blustery, blizzardy day as we are. And we're going to um, talk with you a little bit and from some scriptures. And Robert's going to read from his book. And we're just going to continue to have a good time. Oh, we're also going to have a song. We're going to have a song. That's yeah. right. I mean, the whole nine yards. The whole nine <laughs> yards. Yeah, you know where that saying comes from? No, yeah. That's football has to come from football. No, that's how much fits in the dump truck. Oh, my heavens. You're going to drop the whole nine yards right here. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, you have more <laughs> I mean, in whole... football, what would nine yards mean? Don't I you don't need know. ten? <laughs> We have more than nine yards of snow out here at our place, but it's okay. We just have to get through it tomorrow to get to the funeral. So. And we will, because the roads will be clear. But, oh, now, this always gets me, you know, the snow plows. And I'm, I'm thankful that there are snow plows that clear the roads. But, my gosh, why do they have to leave those piles in front of the end of our driveway all the time? How could they not? They can lift their blade. And leave the snow in front of our driveway. Yes, it'd be a lot easier to shovel than that whole huge hump of snow from the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyhow, enough of that. <laughs> We're going to get on to some godly things. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> okay. Well, a thought that was coming to me all in the last weeks or so was the comparison of Old Testament things and New Testament things. Uh -huh. And I was got into a period where I was really thinking about the Passover for the Jews, you know, how they had Passover, and how that compared to the crucifixion, you know, how the, the Passover lamb was brought into the homes for five days and examined before it was sacrificed, and Jesus was in Jerusalem for five days before he was crucified. And, you know, then I was thinking about you know, the Last Supper, which we call, which co coincides with what they call the Seder meal mm -hmm. that they have on the Thursday before 
Passover, and I was I was thinking all these different things, and New Testament scriptures came came to my mind. You know, thinking about the correlation between those. I'm going to start out in Romans uh, chapter two and looking at twenty five through twenty nine. Okay, and that reads, I'm reading out of the message. It says circumcision, because remember, you couldn't partake of uh, the Passover. The foreigners couldn't do it, even the ones living in Israel. You had to be a Jew. Mm -hmm. Even today, uh, among Jews, you have to be a Jew to take part in, in Passover with them. And to become a Jew, a male anyhow, has to be circumcised. What does the female have to be? Don't pay attention. That is okay. Okay. If a man has to be circumcised, what about a woman? She has to be married. She nothing. <laughs> women, oh, well, women we, just get in. We get a pass. Yeah, you get a pass. You know, circumcision. This is in Romans. Circumcision, the surgical ritual that marks you as a Jew, is great if you live in accord with, accordance with God's law. But if you don't, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. The uncircumcised who keep God's ways are as good as the circumcised. In fact, better, better to keep God's law uncircumcised than break it circumcised. Mm. Don't you see, it's not the cut of a knife that makes you a Jew. You become a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not a knife on your skin mm. that makes a Jew. And recognition comes from God, not from legalistic critics. You know, wow. because it's there's a place where it talks to in the Old Testament and the New Testament about circumcision of the heart. And in in New King James, that's actually in this passage, it talks about circumcision of the heart. And you know what that means is giving our life to God. You know, and not just acting like we're giving our life to God. Because circumcision here is comparing the outward sign to the inward reality. Mm -hmm. You know, so we keep that in mind. Now we go to uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 through 8. Okay? Now, this is where Paul was talking to people who, uh, the Corinthians, there was sin in their church. There was a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And, you know, there was uh, a lot of controversy about that. And, and Paul had dealt with it in, in this letter. And he says, but your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing. But it's anything but that. Yeast. Now, yeast in Scripture is often uh, a symbol of sin. Oh, because it grows. Right. Okay. And, you know, when he talked about beware the yeast of the Pharisees, mm -hmm. you know, he was talking about their, their hypocritical nature. He said yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of bread, bread dough pretty fast. So get rid of this yeast. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up 
with the wrong kind of ingredient. The Messiah, our Passover, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal. Our Messiah, the Passover, it says the lamb, you know, in New King James again, it says the, uh, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. It says the Messiah, our Passover, has already been sacrificed. And we are the unraised bread part of the feast because they had to eat unleavened bread during Passover. So let's live out our part in the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flatbread, simple, genuine, unpretentious. Oh, I love that. And, and you know, he's, they're using these symbols and showing us how all these things in, his, in Jewish history and the history of the Israelites the Passover itself was a symbol of Christ, you know, passing over our sins, us being saved by having the blood of the lamb on the lentils of the door. We're saved by having the blood of Christ wash over us. Amen. You know, and so it's showing how there's this continuity between the Old Testament foreshadowing and the New Testament reality. It's even comparing here how the whole feast itself is played out in humanity. The humanity of Christ being the Passover lamb and the humanity of us being the unleavened bread that is not raised by the yeast of evil. You know, and so it, it all shows such a perfect picture of Christ. That's why he was so surprised. You know, I really believe that, you know, the plan was for when Jesus came for the Jews to accept him, not to become the king, but to become the spiritual Messiah, and that they would accept him once he was resurrected and that the Jewish nation would turn to him and sin would be forgiven and they would become the evangelist to the world. But they didn't. They rejected him and to this day still reject him, you know? And so Israel is Israel. I mean, it's the Israel of God. I mean, that is Israel, you know, from Jacob and Abraham and all that. That goes on. And those promises never stop, you know? But here he's telling us that we have become part of that. He's talking here to the Corinthians. They were Greeks. They weren't Jews, you know? And then we go to Galatians. Well, he goes into that part where it's, <clears throat> um, so let's live out our past in the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flat bread, simple, genuine, and pretentious. That is just so <sighs> profound. You know, the simplicity yes. is something. I mean, and we all tend to... Uh, simple, genuine, and pretentious. Mm, well, yeah, and we tend to do thing, overdo things a lot. Matter of fact, you, you? Were, me, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we come from that '60s generation of two is good, give me five. More give is better. Six is better. More is better. And um, musically, Rosalie was just talking to me today about <laughs> how sometimes I want to add one too many tracks to a song, or maybe ten too many. You know, I want to. Well, let's go in. We'll layer it here, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and you know. 
You lose the sun. You lose the sun sometimes. You know, it's better to just do the like. Uh, even Casting Crowns does an acoustic version, you know, <laughs> of all their great songs. Uh, but now we go to Galatians, and it's in chapter six, and we're looking at verses fourteen through sixteen. You know, and uh, in this, it's time. You know, Paul was always being attacked. You know, and if he was being attacked, don't be surprised that we're being attacked. Just as Jesus was attacked, we're, don't be surprised we are. Because he tells us in Luke, there's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. Mm -hmm. You know, but Paul says here, he says, For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our Master Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Boy, think about how many things. Peer pressure. Mm -hmm. All our lives, I mean, peer pressure when we were kids, when we were growing up, peer pressure, you know, in churches, peer pressure everywhere you go. People are, are jamming us into cookie-cutter molds that, well, that you're a Christian, this is how you're supposed to be, you know, and non-Christians do it to us, and other Christians do it to us, you know, and we do it to ourselves, we, we do it to, I know I've done it to myself, many, you know, like when I became a Christian, I didn't know what a Christian was, so I just figured, well, I'll watch these other people who've been Christians a long time, and I'll be just like them, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, have followed that down many trails and, and uh, mm -hmm. back ways, you know. But anyhow, he says, set free from stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. He says, can't you see the central issue in all this? It's not what you and I do. Submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. And our, our, that would almost be like submit to baptism. Yes. Reject baptism. Yes. Submit to church membership. Yes. Reject it. You know, it is what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new. A free life. And you know, Paul wrote this thousands of years ago. He said, this is what God's doing now. He's creating a new thing. Well, he's still doing it. He's creating a new thing. When I was born again, he created a new thing. When you were born again, he created a new yeah. thing. When people are born again, God creates a new thing, you know. And he says, a f gives us a free life. He says, all who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people. Peace and mercy on them. And, you know, that's what it says. We are the Israel of God. We, the believers... And not that doesn't reject the Jews because Israel, Israel is the stump. Right, that's the stump, and we've been grafted in. People who don't believe, who were born as Israelites, were maybe cut out. But that doesn't mean they won't eventually be grafted in. As long as, but we've got to realize we were grafted in into that root, the root of Jesse, it's called, and the stump that that comes from Abraham. Abraham is our father. Mm -hmm. You know, we may, you know, that's why when we see people persecuting Jews, hey, we're Jews. Mm -hmm. 
we're the Jews of, of God. We're, we're the Israel of God. And we need to stand in solidarity. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't accept, you know, uh, gloss over the fact that people need Jesus and have to accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a continuity between it all. From the day Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees until this very day, as you listen to this broadcast, you know, there is a continuity between that, that which is now like, that was like 5,000 years ago that Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. And there's a perfect continuity and a line of God's actions right here through this speaker to you. And it goes on to say, just briefly, quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. Amen. I mean, disputing over his little things. Yeah. We said that for years. You know, what? Are, what are the, the church is getting so separated because of, oh, well, you cross with your left hand, or you, you kneel down and you do this, and you don't do that. And we, we would always say, as long as they're proclaiming Jesus Christ. Amen. And he's... His name is above the door. Why are we messing with all these little disputes? It says, I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith. Amen. The serious living Amen. of this faith. And that is what we tell people all the time. I just want to live the faith. Amen. You know, yeah. just live it. I bear in my body scars from the service to Jesus. You know, it just, yes, this doesn't matter. Well, just think about how many times... I mean, it isn't just uh, non-believers attacking Christians. Think of how many Christians Attackers. have been attacked by Christians. They, matter of fact, they had crusades yeah. that were against other Christians. Yeah. They weren't just against the Muslims. They had crusades, you know, and went in and fire and sword and killed everybody because, oh, you're going to baptize completely with water? Oh, we're going to get you. You're going to speak in tongues? we got to kill you, you know, and... We're missing the whole point. The Which whole, is? That it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen. It's not Jesus and angels. It's not Jesus and circumcision. It's not Jesus and baptism. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Faith in him and him crucified. Simple. That's it. Keep it simple. You know, and that's what we've got to do. You know, and so hopefully you can, can see this continuity. You can see how... Uh, God started this. You know, the, the salvation doesn't start with us saying, you need to accept Jesus. The story of salvation starts with God saying, let there be, and there was, Amen. and there is. Amen. God's creation is what leads us to this moment right here. And believing in Jesus and accepting him as your Lord and Savior is the pathway and the doorway into the sheepfold so that you become one of his children. A child of God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Robert, for all of that teaching. And um, you've always <clears throat> been such a good preacher teacher. That's what I always call him. He's not just a preacher. He's a preacher teacher. <clears throat> and uh, we will now go into a song that I think you'll find relates much to this. Yes. <laughs> Follow Jesus, He will lead us where we need to be. I said, Come on, people, we can follow. 
symbolic Jesus walking in faith and living in liberty. Christian music helps us so much. You know, we find oh, yeah. 
especially like if we're under attack or we're depressed or things are going wrong, we're having a problem, a bad day, turn on the praise music. Yeah, we did that just the other day. Yeah, right, you know, and, and it just changes the whole mood and everything in the whole house. And I don't know about, I'm always singing. Matter of fact, almost every day, the reason I get out of bed or I know it's time to wake up, I can't stop singing in my head. Oh, that's nice. That should be a song. I guess it should be. Because it really is the truth <laughs> in my life. I, I mean, know I can't I stop singing in different. my head. I can even remember a time, though, when I went through kind of a, a, a troubled, dark period in my life, and I felt like my music died. I remember that period. Uh, well, no, I'm thinking of another time before I even met you. Huh? When I went through a period where I felt like my music died. And... Uh, Music's been such a big part of my whole life, and I just hope we just hope that these songs that we share with you, that we write, uh, can stay with you and be a blessing to you. Come on, people! Come on! And now, and now, and now, we <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now we're going to let you know how to purchase the book. Oh yeah, we're gonna read a chapter from a book from America's Trojan War, the first book in a five book series. It's all one story in five books. Yeah. You can buy them right from Amazon.com. Just go there and in the search bar, put in America's Trojan War, Dr. Robert Owen. And there you go. You know, we also wanna let you know about the Paradox Shop. If you go to the Paradox Shop, all one word, all dot com, <laughs> you'll be able to see our paintings. We have a new online store that sells our paintings, and we hope you will check it out. Please do. Yeah, yeah. So here's the chapter. Chapter 27, The Battle of Arlington, up close and personal. Mitch lay behind the shattered chassis of a Bradley. He and Blake Simmons, his radio man, were surrounded by about 20 members of the Dinwiddie Patriots. Some were wounded, all were smudged with dirt and grease and blood. The black smoke of burning diesel and rubber tinged with the stink of human flesh hung over the space between the perimeter of the Virginia Hospital Center and the shattered building which had once been the pride of Arlington. Mitch and his group fought their way one foot at a time in the face of 50 caliber machine guns from the Abrams and concentrated fire from the snipers in the building. The area was strewn with both American and ISIS dead. This is about as far as we can get. There's still about 20 to 30 yards of open space with no cover between us and the building, and we'll never make it with those 50s knocking down everything that moves, Mitch said as he realized they may not make it to the buildings after all the sacrifice patriots had already made. Maybe if we ordered every group that's pinned down along the line to rush them at once, suggested Ed Eastman, Mitch's lifelong friend. I think that would just end up with all of us dying, Ed, answered Mitch. Mitch's squad watched as a young man broke cover about 10 yards to their left and managed to dodge the enemy fire as he ran, jumped, and rolled until he made one last leap and landed in the crater they were currently occupying. It was Billy Hill, a member of Mitch's son, Junior's squad. Mitch had known Billy since he and Junior started hanging out in high school. Mitch had always liked him. He was a decent person and one of the best mechanics Mitch had ever known. Hey, Billy, Ed said, not taking time for any personal greetings or small talk. Billy said, 
Our radio was hit a while back. Junior wants you to know he has more than a dozen men, and he will follow your lead. You stay here, Billy. There's no need for you to try to get back with the message that we aren't moving from here. Mitch was frustrated, as were all the rest of the Patriots. They had come so far and sacrificed so much. Each and every one of them wanted to close with the enemy. They wanted to clean this nest of terrorists out, kill every one of them, and raise an American flag from the road. But they all knew that without anything powerful enough to silence those Abrams and their 50s, they were stumped. Inside the conference room, Talman Yudai, commander of Strike Force 4, had just been informed that the perimeter was now completely in the hands of the Americans. Sadad, it is time to release some of the unbeliever whores, so that after we have sent most of these Americans to hell and we have gone to paradise, they will know how we have humiliated them. Taman said to his second-in-command, I will make it so, replied Sadad, turning immediately to the radio man and ordering him to give the guards to release about 50 of the captive women. Kill all the other whores and order our patriots and our patrols to kill all the patients. Taman ordered Lugam Gujois, his cousin and the commander of the guard and interior patrol. As you command, not one of the, these polluted unbeliever dogs will escape the wrath of Allah, answered Lugman, as he passed the orders on to his men using the microphone that dangled from his left shoulder. Hey, Mitch, look at this, Betty Lynn Taylor called out from the north side of their position. Mitch looked at Betty Lynn and couldn't help but marvel. Here was this little five-foot-two mother of three, dressed in fatigues, covered in mud and blood, holding an AR-15, risking her life to attack the invaders. There is a real patriot, Mitch thought, as he crawled over to Betty's position to take a look. Hold your fire! Hold your fire! Mitch yelled as loud as he could. Then he said to Don Patterson, the man who owned and operated the jewelry shop next to his gun store, and one of the founding men members of the Dinwiddie Patriots, well, what do you make of that? As he stared at an ISIS warrior in an American army fatigue waving a white flag as he stepped out of the shattered front building doors of the hospital. I never thought these suicide potlickers would ever surrender, said Don. The silence was all, almost deafening as all the Patriot groups close enough to see the man with the flag stopped firing. Firing from the building had also stopped, and as word spread by radio to cease fire, the sudden return to a level of noise close to what had always been normal until today seemed to come as a crash of stillness in a crumbling world. Blake yelled out to Mitch, the guys on the other side are reporting a man with a white flag has come out of the building over there too, in perfect English and with no accent at all. The man with the flag called out, don't shoot, we are sending out some of your women. Immediately a group of about 25 to 30 women came out. Those who could ran towards the Americans. Some were naked, others were partially clothed, some were barely able to walk or were being helped along by others. I thought these animals would kill all their hostages, said Betty. Lynn. I did too, and praise God they're showing a little humanity after all, were some of the other comments in the crater Mitch's group currently called home. As soon as the women were safely in the crater, the fire from the building in the 50s opened up with a vengeance, killing and wounding several people who had gotten careless and exposed themselves as the women came out. It didn't take long, just a moment or two, for the horrific story of what had happened to the women to fill the Patriots with rage. As the news spread around the ring of fire that surrounded the building, the level of hate and thirst for revenge rose to unbelievable. As all of this was transpiring on ground level, a possible game changer was brewing in a little used corridor, not far from the conference room the invaders had chosen for their headquarters. There, the team of employees, visitors, 
and a few doctors, led by Chelsea, the pharmaceutical sales rep, prepared to do what they could to help the assault they could hear going on downstairs. They had successfully overpowered a few two-man teams of warriors on patrol as they made their way from the tunnels to the top floor. This had increased their arsenal by four AR-15s, four pistols, four knives, and another dozen hand grenades. It also increased their confidence and made them ready for the fight. Back in the conference room, Taman Yadal, raising his voice to be heard by all over the rising din of batter called out, Brothers! This has been a glorious day of victory for our beloved Caliph and for Allah. We have brought death and destruction to the dark heart of the great Satan. We have brought shame and misery upon their head. We have delivered such punishment and humiliation upon the unbeliever empire of the West that they will follow their sin and unbelief to the grand battle of Dirar. For the prophet himself, peace be upon him, will lead the armies of the believers to final victory, and the Mahdi shall rid the world of evil. Shouts of Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar filled the room. We have accomplished this already. All that remains is us for, to, for us to die a glorious martyr's death and find our sweet reward in paradise. I will see you in paradise this day, my brothers. And we will, was as far as Taman got, when the two, two doors crashed open and had a hurried view of a tall woman throwing a grenade into the room. The first one was followed by dozens more. The blast took out the whole room. Failing to get either door closed before the first grenades ban- began exploding, the blowback from the shrapnel and the concussion from the ensuing mega multi-blast instantly killed Chelsea, Dr. Tom, and Dr. Ed. Several others were severely wounded. As those who could ran for the back stairs that had brought them up from the tunnels, they were intercepted by ISIS patrols running from both ends of the corridor. In a hail of gunfire, the Americans managed to take out more than a dozen warriors, but eventually all resistance ceased as the last American, one of the janitors, was finally brought down with a shot to the head. After the woman had come out, Mitch, like every other patriot, was straining at the bit to get at the enemy, but they were still pinned down with no way to move forward. I guess we're just going to have to hold our position until the cavalry arrive, Mitch said to no one in particular. Then he said, pass the word. We hold them place with minimum exposure. Tell the troops to conserve their ammo in case they try a breakout and tell them to keep their heads down. Blake immediately began transmitting the order. Suddenly there was a tremendous explosion on the top floor of the hospital. Glass and a few bodies flew out, come crashing down in no man's land between the Patriot positions and the building. What the hell was that? exclaimed Ed as he threw himself to the ground. Maybe it was an airstrike, Billy offered. No, it looks like something blew up inside, said Mitch. Sure does. If it had been a missile from the outside, I doubt if any bodies or glass would have been thrown out. I've seen what Hellfire missiles and 105s can do, and that explosion wasn't that big, said Ed. Whatever it was, I hope it killed a whole bunch of those assholes, Billy said. Hey, Mitch, we're getting a call from a Colonel Jenkins of the 30th Attack Reconnaissance Battalion, said Blake. Give me the headset, Mitch said as he crawled over to the radio position. Once he had the headset on, Mitch said, Come in, Colonel Jenkins. Is this Colonel Williams? Hearing it for the first time made Mitch feel strange, but he had taken General Stamper's orders to heart, and he was determined to answer the call. Yes, this is Colonel Williams. Colonel Williams, I'll be in firing range at your location in about two minutes. 
What do you want us to do? As a former captain giving orders to a colonel didn't come natural, but Mitch was a born leader, and he carried the weight of a field promotion and a general behind him. So without a thought about it, he took it to it like a duck takes the water. Colonel, we're pinned down by the Abrams. The terrorists have backed right into the hospital building. You can take them out. We'll be able to start the final assault. Will do, Colonel. Tell your people to keep their heads down, and we'll have those tanks out of action in about three minutes, Colonel. Jenkins replied. Great, answered Mitch. Turning to blank, he said, tell everyone to keep their heads down. There will be incoming ordnance in about three minutes. As soon as the blast is over, everyone rush the building and tell them to avoid the openings the tanks have made. There'll be secondary explosions and fires. Yes, sir, Blake said and immediately sent out the message. At the rear of the perimeter battle, hundreds of Americans from the surrounding neighborhoods had been coming up to see if they could help. The Patriots distributed weapons and formed them into squads, each led by one of the members of the Virginia Patriots Network. By the time the missiles hit the tanks, were, there were upwards of 3,000 Americans armed and ready to take back their territory, with more arriving constantly. The detonations of the incoming Hellfire missiles were like the sound of a volcano erupting, or what you would expect to hear as the doorbell of hell. The buildings slumped and sagged, and in some places actually came down and crashing jangles of concrete and steel. Shards of glass, pieces of furniture, parts of bodies rained down, causing some injuries to the Patriots sheltering in in the craters behind the blasted vehicles that littered the property. The dust was still in the air when Mitch yelled, Charge! as he jumped up and led his squad straight towards the door that had not long ago served as the portal for the women captives. The tri- cry was echoed from the voices of hundreds of other squad leaders as the Patriots all climbed out of hiding and raced towards the building with one thought animating them all. Kill the invader. The mass fire from the thousands of Patriots rushing the building was like a solid wall of lead clearing the path in front of them. As Mitch led his men into the hospital through the front door, they walked into a crossfire from several locations in the big lobby. Mitch died behind some big metal planters. The planters had all, plants had all been shot away, but they provided some cover. Over here, Mitch yelled as the rounds from the crossfire zoomed through the lobby. Most of the Patriots hit the floor and started returning fire. Blake was on the floor next to Mitch. So was Ed. Don and Billy were behind the planters on the other side of the door. Betty Lynn lay in the middle of the door. The right side of her head, a mass of blood, where a round from an AR-15 had found its mark. Mitch threw up a hurried prayer for her family and tossed a grenade into one of the hallways that entered the lobby, just beyond the big information. Beyond that, and before that first grenade exploded, he had another in the air, and he could see several more heading for hallways around the lobby. Explosion followed explosion, and the deadly crossfire stopped. Mitch was on his feet and again rushing deeper into the building, with his squad following. Other squads were now piling in behind Mitch, including the ones led by his son, Junior, and the one led by his wife. Just as Mitch came up to the big information desk, two jihadis jumped up and started firing on full auto into the room. A bullet grazed Mitch and sent him sprawling to the marble-tiled floor. Next to him, one round hit Don in the face and another hit him in the left shoulder, sending him spinning, spraying blood in all directions as he corkscrewed to the ground. Several other members of Mitch's squad were hit along with others, but followed them in. Without breaking stride, Billy jumped over the information desk, taking down one of the gunmen. 
While he was falling on top of that one, he fired a few rounds to his side and took out the other one. He landed with his full force on top of the warrior, knocking the breath out of him, then grabbing his knife and plunging it into the man's throat, keeping the breath from ever entering him. With blood running down the side of his face and a grazing wound, Mitch got to his feet, went around the information desk and helped Billy to his... That was a brave thing to do, Billy. I'm proud of you, son, Mitch said. Quickly assessing the situation, Mitch called out, You men on the right, take those two corridors there. You on the left, take the other two. Ed, you stay here and keep the incoming troops dividing as e evenly as possible between the two sides and this central corridor. Then he took off, leading the Patriots in the middle down the large central corridor. There was resistance, but it was light, and they lost a few as they killed many. As they entered areas where there had been patient rooms, they saw that all the patients had been killed. The bloodlust in all of them was rising. More and more as they saw what the invaders had done to these innocent Americans. As they were clearing the first floor, they, there came a moment when after clearing a large meeting room, Mitch realized that his beloved wife Joan and his son Junior were both in the room, looking at each other across the bullet-ridden conference table, the shattered furniture, and the many bodies strewn about. They all tried to say, I love you, be safe, with their eyes, before they rushed in different directions, leaving their squads to the battle. None of them wanted, and each of them was determined to win. Once the first floor was secure, Mitch sent several squads into each stairwell. Just as he was about to lead his own squad into one of the stairwells, Blake said, Colonel, I've got a Major Detlefson of the 47th Infantry, Virginia National Guard on the line. Taking the headset, Mitch said, Major Detlefson, this is Colonel Williams. What have you got for me? Colonel, my brigade is arriving on the scene. What do you want us to do? Surround the entire area. Make sure none of these ISIS terrorists escape. Send in squads not needed for the outer perimeter to help clear the building. Be aware the enemy is in desert sand fatigue. Our people are all in green camel, police uniforms and civilian clothes, Mitch said. Yes, sir, Major Ditlefson answered. For the first time all day, Mitch began to feel that victory was certain. Facing surprisingly light resistance, Mitch led the Patriots, police, civilians, and now U.S. infantry up one floor and then after clearing that up another, floor by floor, room by room, they took back the Virginia Hospital Center, not knowing that the command center of the terrorists was just a smoking ruin and that they were facing a splintered and leaderless rabble that had once been a cohesive fighting force. Hello. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> All to say Hello to the goodbye. <laughs> we're so glad you joined us today. We've had a good time, as you can tell. And uh, as you walk around singing, come on, people. If you need to contact us, please go to itookarightturn.com and contact us. There's, yeah, there's a place for contact and submit uh, any questions, questions or comments. Questions Anything. Well, as long as the suggestion them. isn't stop. <laughs> well, you, if it is, you can suggest that. You can suggest that, but we're not going to do it. No, no, no. But I uh, hope you have a blessed, blessed rest of the day. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I took the right turn.